if you would, turn in your Bibles to the book of Exodus. And uh, as, you're, as you're turning there, I want to uh, kind of call attention to, as I often do, I say, hey, kids. And so, uh, hey, kids, I, I want you in particular, all of us, but I want you to turn your attention to the screen because we're going to watch a video. And it's a, it's a reading uh, from a, a book called the Jesus Storybook Bible. And in that, it's going to remind us of some of what we've heard already in the story of Exodus and some of what we're going to hear in the weeks ahead. But it, it captures uh, a lot of what we're reminded of even today as well. So turn your attention to the screen as we watch this video. Joseph and his brothers grew old and died. But their children's children stayed on in Egypt, where they became a very large family. Later on, a new king began to rule. But this pharaoh didn't remember Joseph, and he didn't like God's people. He made them into his slaves and beat them and made them work harder and harder. God's people cried out to God to rescue them. And God heard them. He remembered his promise to Abraham. He would look after his people. He would find a way to set them free. One day, Moses was looking after sheep when something caught his eye. A bush was behaving very oddly. It was flickering with flames, but its leaves weren't burning up. He took a closer look. Moses! <gasps> boomed a big voice. Moses leapt back. Well, the bush was talking to him. I have heard my people's cries, God said. I have seen their tears. So I have come down to rescue them. Go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go free. Moses was afraid, but God said, I will be with you. So Moses went to Pharaoh. Pharaoh, Moses began, God says, God, said Pharaoh, never heard of him. Moses kept going. God says, let his people go free. Why should I, Pharaoh said, don't want to, won't. So he didn't. So God gave Pharaoh ten warnings called plagues. First, God turned the river Nile into blood. No one could drink the water. But still Pharaoh would not let them go. So God made frogs come hopping and leaping and jumping. In your bed frogs, in your hair frogs, in your soup frogs, all over everywhere frogs. Make them go away, Pharaoh screamed. Then your people can go. So God took the frogs away. But Pharaoh changed his mind. You can't go, he said. Then God sent zillions of gnats. But still Pharaoh said no. So then God sent swarms of flies. Flies buzzing in your eyes, flies. And after that, sickness. And horrible boils. And huge hailstones. And a storm of locusts. Then darkness, when it should have been day, until it seemed that the whole world, creation, everything was coming undone, falling back into darkness and emptiness and nothingness. 
But each time Pharaoh said, Make it stop and then I'll let them go. And each time when God made it stop, Pharaoh changed his mind and said, Actually, no, you can't go. Well, finally, Moses warned Pharaoh, Obey God or he will have to send the worst thing of all. And Pharaoh just laughed. So God said, The oldest boy in each family of Egypt must die, but my people will be safe. God told his people to take their best lamb, to kill it, and to put some of its blood on their front door. When God passes over your house, Moses explained, God will see the blood and know that the lamb died instead of you. That night, it was just as God had said. Suddenly, piercing the darkness, echoing down the corridors of the palace, came a blood-curdling scream. Pharaoh's oldest son had died. At last, Pharaoh did what God said. Get out! Pharaoh shouted. Just go! And so, that very night, Moses and God's people fled out of Egypt and out of slavery. They were free at last. God's people would always remember this great rescue and call it Passover. But an even greater rescue was coming. Many years later, God was going to do it again. He was going to come down once more to rescue his people. But this time, God was going to set them free forever and ever. Yeah, he reads so much better than I do. Uh, so I, we, we thought that would be good. Uh, it's a good reminder for us. As I said, this, we're, not, we're not condensing all of that story into this sermon today. There was so much there, but just... Good reminders for us about some of what we have seen already and uh, maybe reminders or, or foretelling of what we will see in the weeks ahead. Um, last week, we finished at was kind of uh, a low point for Moses, right? He, it ends with this, he's still asking, why will they listen to me? Why, why, why is this even going to be true at all? And now we're out of the preparation for delivery though, right? We've, we've been talking about um, how, how this is like the, the birth of a nation. And so similarly, there's this, up to this point, we've had preparation for the delivery, but now we're like in the labor pains. So, so uh, in that first chapter, we saw how God used midwives to protect life and how he himself is described as that kind of deliverer in both the Psalms and in Isaiah. We hear these words of, of deliverance repeated throughout the book. In fact, we even think of that. We're, we're waiting, we're longing for the deliverance of God's people, the rescue, redemption of God's people. Now we're entering into these intense labor pains that will be described in greater detail in the week ahead. But today, we're looking at the next encounter between Pharaoh and certainly Moses and, and Aaron. 
And so I want to go back just real quick and read uh, a few verses from the end of last week so we can kind of remember how we got to where we are right now. So in chapter 6, verse 28 and following, it says, On the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Pharaoh, let tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? So, right, that's, it feels a little like a low moment because Moses is asking this question again. How will he listen to me after the Lord has already made it clear who he is and who Moses is and who Pharaoh is? And so now, let's see where we are now as we begin in chapter 7. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my host, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, Prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became servants, serpents. But Pharaoh's, Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. So when we read all of this, maybe this is even part of the story that is familiar to you. Uh, there, I, I know uh, when I think about a book like Exodus that has movies and uh, even cartoons made after it, parts of the story that we are most frequently, uh, I guess, recall, it's things like this. How, how was the, uh, when, when, it, when the staff goes down and becomes a serpent and then the other staffs become serpents and then the one eats the other ones and all of those kinds of things along the way. Uh, so, so maybe part of this story is like normal for you. It's, it's uh, I guess, kind of, it's not as fresh as other parts of Exodus. But I hope that today as we, recall this story, or maybe even hear it for the first time, that we would see God for who he is, and as a result, we would obey his commands. Whatever those are, that we would see his authority in our lives and over all creation, and as a result, that we would be obedient to his word. So let's, let's think through this, just kind of walking through the text as we normally do. And, and so we start with this, that the Lord followed through with his commitment. Right? He had made a commitment to Moses, and he had made a commitment to Aaron, and he had made a commitment to the people of Israel, his people, the, the people of God. So he made, made a commitment. 
And now he's following through with that. Again, beginning in, in uh, verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh. So speaking that Moses is acting like God to Aaron. So Aaron is like the prophet. So uh, as God speaks to Moses, then Moses speaks to Aaron, and then Aaron speaks to Pharaoh. Verse 2, you shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my host, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Here's what's interesting, uh, a couple things about this. This has been repeated now. If you've been here for all of these weeks, you will know that this, is, this comment of what the, God is going to do has been told to Moses on repeat. Over and over and over, he has said it repeatedly. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm holding my commitment. By the way, remember, you're going to go before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's heart is going to be hardened. And he's not going to let the people go. And then I'm going to have signs and wonders, and he's still going to be hardened. He's not going to let you go. And so in some ways, when you go back to that end of chapter 6, when he's like, how, why, how is he going to listen to me? He won't listen to me. He's like, you can just see God saying, let me, let me repeat this to you. Again, that is the plan. He, you're going to go before him, and he's not going to do what you said. And still, Moses seems shocked every time that, that Pharaoh says no. Like, God has said, this is what's going to happen, and then it happens. Now, we think about, uh, about stories and, and the plans of God as both means and end, right? So we're going to do that in reverse because the end, the result that God is going for is that the Egyptians will know Yahweh. That, that's the end, right? So, so he says there, uh, verse 5, the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. The Egyptians shall know that I am Yahweh, that I am the one God, that I am the uncaused cause. The, the whole reason for all of this is so that Egypt will know who God is. Now this, if you haven't ever thought of that, that's pretty drastic word, isn't it? It seems like the reason for this is to get the Israelites out of harm's way. The, the purpose for this book, the purpose for this story, the purpose for this action would seem that the reason like, is to get deliverance for the Israelites, the people of God, to rescue them, to save them. But, it, but what God says is that the purpose for the deliverance, the purpose for the rescue, the purpose for the salvation of the people of God is so that other people will know who God is. Now, if this is true for the nation of Israel, do you not think that that is also true for you as well? That the reason for your salvation is so that other people would know who God is. The reason you've been rescued, rescued from what? Rescued from hell. 
saved, delivered out of sin and darkness and death. The reason that you were saved is so that other people would know who God is. Like this, is, this is what we see uh, all throughout Scripture. In fact, Psalm 67 is one of my favorite psalms. And uh, at the beginning it says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. So that, so, so God bless us, pour out your grace on our lives, make your face to shine upon us. You know, uh, that, that verse for the longest time uh, was hard for me because I have enough anti, uh, like fake prosperity, false prosperity gospel in me that asking for blessing felt wrong. Right, it's like, ah, no, like, I should I even ask for health or wealth? Because that, that seems like icky, right? But verse 2 in Psalm 67 gives us the reason for that blessing. So now, now we're supposed to ask for blessing, but not so that we will get rich, not so that we will be healthy and wealthy and wise, but so that the name of God will be made known in all the earth. That, that's the plan, we, we see this, again, we see this in places like Daniel uh, 3. Uh, Daniel, uh, you got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? They go in the fiery furnace. They, they are rescued, saved from the fiery furnace. And the king makes an edict that all the earth will know that the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is the one true God. Their salvation, their rescue was so that people would know who God is. Happens again just three chapters later in Daniel 6 when Daniel's brought out of the lion's den. Why? Why was he brought out of the lion's den? The king, different king, makes an edict to the same nations that God, the God of Daniel is the one true God. So Daniel was rescued. Daniel was saved so that all the earth would know who God is. We, we say it often. It was said this morning by Noel that we are saved to be sent. The reason for your salvation. I need you to hear this, church. The reason that you were saved is not just that you could get out of hell or get out of death or that you could be healthy, wealthy, and wise. It is so that the world would know who God is. That's the reason you were saved. And so if you keep silent about that reason, then you're missing the purpose of your life. The end, the end goal is always that more people would know who God is. God had a plan to rescue some two million people out of slavery and harm and heartache so that one nation would know this story and know this God. So the end is other people knowing God, but the means is the deliverance of Yahweh's people, right? I'm, I'm doing, what, what is he doing to bring that about? So he says, then I will, verse four, then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my host, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt. There will be great acts of judgment. So, so verse four is actually telling us the, the way in which verse five is going to happen. That means that if that was the, the plan, that God in his sovereignty even had a plan for their slavery, 
in God's providence that he would, he would even put them in that place. Remember, God's the one that brought them there in the first place. Genesis 40 through 50. Those, those chapters are the story of Joseph getting there so that if you even remember all of that story, that's just God's sovereignty all over that. But then to the end, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. God intended for much better than just those uh, brothers of his. God intended for much better than just the brothers and the, the, their wives and their children. God intended better than even just for the two million Israelites he was going to bring out. God intended good for all people to know of the salvation and rescue of his people and how he works. So, in these first five verses, we see the means and the end to God's plan of rescue. Well, what, what happens next? Well, Moses and Aaron obeyed God's commandment. I, I love verse 6. This is one that uh, is, is worth underlining as a reminder. So, Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. You might even like underline that second part. They did just as the Lord commanded them. That means they obeyed every part of it. There wasn't something left out. I, I know I can, I can be uh, one who messes that up. Right? I obey enough so that I can justify in my heart. Like, oh, well, like I, I did most of what God told me to. I confessed this sin mostly. I stopped mostly doing that thing I wasn't supposed to be doing. Right? It's like, um, hey, it's, if you tell your kid, uh, go get ready for bed, and they, they go and they come back with like a sock on, like, uh, and like, did you brush your teeth? No. You washed your face? No. You know, going to the bathroom? No. Did you take a shower? No. So you're not ready for bed. Okay. So let's try this again, right? But they did part of it. They put the PJs on. It's like, okay, we, is, is that ever like us? Where we, we hear this command and we go part of the way? I think I'm kind of ready. I think I'm kind of doing the thing you were telling me to. We're told to, to, right, to make disciples of all nations. So we're like, well, I, I did this one thing that one time. We're told to give sacrificially and cheerfully and, and abundantly. And it's like, well, I gave. Not in any of those ways, but I, I did put money in the offering plate or the box. No, I, I want you to notice that. They did just as the Lord commanded. Now they obeyed no matter their age. This is really important because you notice uh, in verse 7 that Moses as the author is even pointing out his and his brother's age. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Moses. So let me speak to the senior adults in the room whether you acknowledge that you are a senior adult or not. You can be called a senior adult for a variety of reasons, 
Uh, it could be because you're 80 or 83. It could be because you're 97. It could be because you got your AARP card. I do not care. The, the point here is the value of obedience, no matter how old you are. I remember uh, when I was a child, uh, I was wrestling with my call to ministry. And uh, I remember uh, a children's minister pointing me to 1 Timothy 4.12. It says, do not let anyone look down on you or despise you because you are young, but set an example for believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. I, I remember that. And I remember thinking, okay, like that is something I had to hold on to. I don't have to hold on to that the same way now. All right? But, but I would say in the same manner as someone pointed to me and said, don't let your age be a reason to not obey. Don't let your age be your excuse for not setting the example. I would say to all of us, do not let your age be your excuse. Do not get a, you don't get a pass because you're quote unquote old. Like whether you say it or somebody else says it, which my kids love to tell me that I'm old. The, the Holy Spirit is far less concerned with your age. Otherwise, at year one million and three in heaven, we would all be living on our own way, right? It's, if once we got old, we could, we could just do whatever we wanted and start disobeying and have disregard for people and, and God and his word, then what would, we, what would heaven be like when we're talking about eternity? Follow in the ways of Christ until you have finished the race. Preach and proclaim the gospel of Jesus until you have no more breath. And when you're out of breath, get out a pencil and write down the glories of Christ. And when the pencil runs out of lead, chisel it in a stone. Like this is our job. I mean, do you get what I'm saying? Like don't get me wrong. Like thank you, senior adults, who are faithfully here, faithfully proclaiming the glories of Christ, faithfully inviting their neighbors, faithfully praying for your children and your grandchildren, you are setting an example for so many of us. But don't give up now. Don't quit now. Don't say like, oh, I think I've had my turn. I've done my task. We need to see examples of faithful obedience until the day is done. So live that for us. Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. In fact, he does so. In verse 10, it says that Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. In reality here, we're seeing that they obey no matter the outcome. Remember? Like, there's, there's stuff that has happened before. They're doing just as the Lord commanded. Now, they have a different expectation because the scene that they have already experienced. Remember back in chapter 5? Moses turned to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. Right? He has already gone and said, hey, like, I'm about to go to Pharaoh, but I, he, I, he's gone to Pharaoh one time, and it, it didn't turn out so great. It got harder for the people of God. 
So can you imagine now they're having to go back to Pharaoh to have essentially the same conversation. And last time they had it, slavery got harder for their brothers and sisters, for their friends, for their family. In fact, they were rejected by their family because they went in the first place. They have, they have experienced this. And so now, here's what, here's what they're saying is, even if that happens again, I'm going to do what you say. Right? We like to get to chapter 7, and it's like we forgot two chapters ago. They don't forget that. They're going back to Pharaoh with this knowledge that this could get worse. They could beat us more. They could, they could murder more of us. They could harm us more. They could make this worse. But we're going to do what God says. I wonder if you're willing to obey like that. With full knowledge that your obedience could make your life harder. Are you willing to say yes? They're trusting the Lord even, even if. Even you fill in the blank on whatever the if is. As we continue in the story, the, the word does like bear true, just as expected. Pharaoh was hardened to God's conviction. So, again, they, they don't, in fact, he, he summons these other wise men, so to speak, and the sorcerers. In verse 13, still Pharaoh's heart was hardened. He would not listen to them. I want you to notice a couple things within this text, within this example of the, the staff being laid down. See the authority of the staff. And I want you to... Uh, Follow with me through the whole part so I can explain why I use that wording. But remember, this is called, in other passages, this is called the staff of God. Right? It's not just the staff of Moses or the staff of Aaron. In other places, it's described as the staff of God. The, the authority rests here. Shown to the elders of the Israelites, and they believed, as they saw this take place, it was... Uh, on display to Moses, which was one of the first things he did to uh, still at the burning bush. But it's shown to Pharaoh, and he thinks he can magically make it happen. So then the authority of the snake eating the other snakes is an intentional display that God's authority is more powerful than whatever authority you think you have. So you can imagine Pharaoh sitting on his throne even. And, and Aaron lays down the staff, it becomes a serpent, and almost mockingly, Pharaoh like chuckles at that, bringing in his sorcerers to lay down a stick that will become a snake. But in, a, in an effort for God to show his greater authority than the Pharaoh, he has that snake eat the other snakes. They, they can't do that. Oh, uh, I don't know how to do that magic trick. It isn't so much that the staff has authority, as I even put the authority of the staff, 
But I worded it that way to remind you that the staff represents the authority of God Almighty. That that authority has been placed there. It is is God's authority. This is no ordinary stick. I was on a walk, family walk yesterday afternoon. It was a beautiful day. Walking through the neighborhood. and uh, One of my kids picked up a stick uh, and not telling you which one, but because of who picked it up, I took it from them, Uh, right? We needed to make it home safely. So, uh, but then they started talking about the staff and, hey, if this was a little bigger, maybe it would have been like the staff. Maybe if we throw it down, it would become a snake. It was like, well, time out. Well, not that one, right? We don't have that authority. Like, we're not that. But no, so so it's a, this is a reminder that it's not the stick, but the authority of God Almighty. But it's, it also points us to the authority of the sun. Not like the sun in the sky that shines on us. But the authority of Jesus Christ. He has authority over our earthly lives, doesn't he? I mean, when you think about how the Great Commission starts... Many times we, this, the Great Commission, right, Matthew 28, many times we will start that, if someone says, tell me the Great Commission, we'll say, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you, and lo, I'll be with you even to the end of the age, right? But it actually starts before that, when Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth, has been given to me. Then he makes his command. He's making it clear that it is he who has the authority. This is like his uh, one snake eating three other snakes statement. I've got the authority to say what I'm about to say, to give you the command I'm about to give, to call you to obedience. I have the authority to do that. Because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. These are the words of Jesus. So now what he says after that, for all believers, oh, okay. And I wonder then if he really does have authority over our earthly lives. If we are more like Pharaoh than we would like to think. If we're more like one who says, oh, no, no, like, uh, you don't get to tell me what to do. If we, if we, if we are, are more uh, quick to say, no, like, I'm in charge here. You're not, you're not telling me. But Jesus has all authority over your life. question really is, are you going to obey him? He has all authority over our earthly lives. He has authority over eternal death. I think about Revelation 20, like we can fast forward a lot, right? We can jump to the end of the story. 
When the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather for them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea, and they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and beloved, the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it from his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. And then another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. I hope you feel the weight of that. Because it is our God who has authority over our eternity. Those, those who are not found in the book of life, they're, they're found among death and Hades. They're, they're found among the devil beast and the false prophet like all get lumped together for an eternity of torment but but Jesus he also has authority over eternal life Revelation 22 says then the angel showed me the river of the water of life bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the trees were, were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. They will see his face. His name will be on their foreheads. The night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever and ever. You see, church, his authority is in our, over our life now and for all eternity. So surrender. Obey him just as he has commanded. And follow his word. You know, as you consider the, the application to a sermon like this, the text like this, you need to remember that the Lord will always follow through with his commitment, right? We started with that, that just as it was said, 
just as the Lord had said, it happened. He said, Moses, you're gonna go and you're gonna talk with Aaron to b- before Pharaoh and then Pharaoh's gonna harden his heart. Guess what happened? Just what the Lord said was going to happen. The Lord will follow through with his commitment. But there are two camps in this room. There are those who will obey and there's those whose heart is hard. So I just wonder like, which, which camp are you in? Are you in one who says, I will do whatever, whenever, however you say? No, I'm gonna, who do you think you are? I'm, I'm in charge here. You see, the Lord has authority to rule and reign for all eternity. So what will you choose today? Will you choose to surrender your life completely to him? Or will you choose to go your way? In the end of your way, to be clear, always ends in death. Maybe you know that right now you are called to salvation. You're hearing these words you, you see a testimony on the screen like that, and you're hearing these words, that, and you know that you have never turned your life over to Jesus Christ. Would you surrender right now? Maybe you're like two others. Just last week, just last Sunday, said, yes, Lord. Are you like them? says, I, I need to follow Jesus today. I can't wait till I get home. I can't wait till the next hour. I can't wait till later. I need to tell Jesus yes now. Maybe in just a, maybe in just a moment, even you would, you would come to this door. You would, you would grab somebody by the hand and you would say, I want to follow Jesus. I want to surrender my life. I want to turn away from my sin and trust in Jesus. And maybe you're sitting here right now and you're thinking, Chad, I'm too old for that. Moses and Aaron weren't too old to obey. You are not too old to obey. Maybe you know that you've never obeyed God with following through with baptism. And so maybe today is going to be the day you say, even though this is hard, even though I've been uh, active here for years and years, may, maybe people don't even know this about me, but I, I've never actually followed through with believer's baptism. Maybe today you're going to make that known. Maybe you sense that God is calling you to something different. Maybe you're, you're feeling you're called to ministry or to mission fields. You're supposed to live in, in another nation. Would you surrender to that today? Okay, God, no matter the cost, no matter what this costs me, I will obey you. So maybe you're going to come forward and just grab somebody by the hand and say, I don't even know what to do next, but I know that I'm, I'm supposed to do something now. Maybe it's something else that you need to just come to these steps, the place to kneel and say, God, I surrender. I surrender my marriage to you. I surrender my children to you. I surrender my, my job to you. I surrender my heartache to you. I, I, I surrender 
whatever the thing is. Maybe you just come here and just say, God, I'm, I need you. And I'll, I'll do whatever it is you say. I'll take whatever step it is that you're asking me to do. All of this out of an obedience to the Lord. The song we're going to sing says just that, my heart is yours. I'm giving you all of me, not just part of me, not just a piece of me, but God, in my surrender to you, my obedience to you, you have it all. So as we respond this morning, would you, would you be clear to answer the Lord as he leads? Would you stand with me now as we respond to the Lord?